Uh, all right, well, this is it. Our, uh, our first uh, attempt at a, a podcast. So, uh, welcome, listeners. This is our inaugural episode of what we're calling the Rumor Requirement. requirement. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Kamalesh Rao, and... Hi, I'm Michael Jones. Um, so, I guess the idea of this podcast... Uh, uh, we talked about this in September, right? Or even yeah, earlier even than that. Yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Just like as a... As a, as a uh, Emergency scenario if the unlikely were to happen. Yeah, I think originally, I mean, we just like to talk about politics anyway, but we were hoping, uh, as it were, that uh, uh, Clinton was going to win, so we would just create this new podcast that was almost purely fiction. It was the fictional imaginings of what <laughs> happened if Trump would take over. It would have been like a, a welcome to the Magic Tavern meets Trump cast meets like. Man in the High Castle. Yeah, yeah. It's like a you know a counterfactual <laughs> world in which Trump was president. Yeah, it's near apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, well, lucky for us, we don't actually have to use our imagination. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now we must use our imagination to create a safe space for ourselves. <laughs> but uh, so, so what? What makes us? What makes us different? I sure. guess. What is a? What is a? What, what is different about Room of? Yeah, given that there are about what three hundred thousand. Podcast of like two dudes sitting around talking about politics. Yeah, everything's going wrong. You know, yeah, for sure. Hopefully, we won't have gas. I mean, sure. Us. Right, right, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so, I guess uh, when I was thinking about it after in the wake of the election, I was thinking that, okay, I think at first the podcast in some ways is meant to be a little bit therapeutic, right? So, yeah. uh, you and I were chatting like as the elections were coming around, and I was actually out of the country, and I think you actually asked me if I was ever coming back. <laughs> yeah. I think it's not. Unfair to say that. I mean, at least for uh, what, maybe fifty percent of the country, maybe a little less. I mean, it was a kind of a traumatic result. Like I think you said it, where you were like, "I just feel I took this the elections really personally, right? Like you felt like a rejection of everything you believed in, right? Yeah, like personally believed. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I took everything. You took everything really personally. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's actually not an uncommon experience. So, uh, certainly the people I know, and I. To be fair, we do live in sort of a bubble. Uh, there's a certain amount of stunned, dazed look, especially the more pol- politically aware you are, the more politically involved you are. It's it's a lot to get used to, and I think uh, there's something uh, there, there needs to be like some sort of plan of like recovery and like self care. I think um, to 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 deal with this, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, last night I just watched the Star Trek episode where it's like the dark Enterprise where there's like a time warp and like oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. what would have happened if they had gone to war with the Klingons. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. and Guinan is walking around saying She's like, like, "This is not right." Yeah, something is not really right. wrong. This that's, is not right. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the darkest timeline, yeah, right? Right, yeah. or it's at least a darker timeline, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah, so I guess I, I wanted to kind of... But, like, but yeah, but that's no reason not to live well, right? Right, right. Best exactly. And also kind of take care of yourself. Self-care, I mean, yeah. granted, I mean, self-care is one of those areas that deserves a fair amount of sarcasm, but also a little bit of sincerity. All right. right. No, for sure. And I guess uh, just just to be perfectly honest and upfront, I mean, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this podcast is just to check in with Miracle Jones <laughs> and make sure, make sure he hasn't walked off the ledge every week. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I, I mean, yeah. to, to be fair, we wanted to start, you know, start off each episode talking about what we've done. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, so part of the structure, I think, is, uh, okay, what are we doing to stay sane and, like, you know, kind of healthy, right? Like, yeah, and that's not, not a bad thing. To thrive. To right, exactly. To, sure, be, to sure. thrive in, in, uh, in such circumstances. So what have you been doing lately? Uh, so this is an interesting question. So, I mean, like, 
my general ideas about how to take care of oneself, because yeah. I'm getting older, I'm older than you. Um, I mean, it's a lot of like exercise and diet. So uh, I just came back from a vacation, and I will go on another vacation uh, to lands that are not known for healthy food. I'm going back to North Carolina, <coughs> so there's going to be a lot of barbecue, I think. Um, but I try to eat healthy. Um, I, you know, one of the things I was actually thinking about... Um, was actually uh, getting back into the martial arts. Ah, uh, I didn't know you were ever in the martial arts. Yeah, I took a little Aikido back in the day, a little jujitsu. So I think I, I'm gonna go back tomorrow. And uh, part of me is like, okay, that's good for me. Um, and then second of all, I kind of am expecting a street fight every so often. <laughs> <laughs> so what's 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 Aikido versus like kung fu? Uh, Aikido. So kung fu. It depends on who you ask. Aikido is a, a relatively uh, latecomer to the martial arts scene. So. Um, the idea is what it was started as a Zen practice where you don't ever strike or kick someone. So the idea is you always use your opponent's uh, momentum against them. So it's a it looks a bit like a martial arts version of a waltz. Whereas something like kung fu, especially uh, some uh, uh, the wire fu that you see in the movies, they look yeah. a little bit more like ballet. Okay. Right. So it's much more virtuosic. It's a much more like high clank. Uh, but like uh, to me, Aikido's always looked like a waltz. So interesting, uh, yeah. And so, to, but does Aikido work against two people doing Aikido? Don't they just kind of like stare at each other? <laughs> exactly. You're like, I'm good. I don't want to fight. I'm good. I, that's yeah, right. yeah, right. That's kind of a good. I like right. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Same, I guess, with jujitsu. Similar. I mean, as far as yeah. I mean, I think if if I am into it and my body can survive, then I mean, if I was serious, I'd go into something like Krav Maga, which is basically just. This is how you get out of a street fight quickly. And, yeah, and in like an urban environment. Yeah, exactly. Realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think uh, so. That's what I've been doing. Miracle Jones. What about yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? Because uh, I worry about. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Uh, how many cigarettes have you smoked? <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm, I'm, li- I'm quitting tomorrow. Literally, I promised myself that you know, said quit for ten years, and then this election. You were smoking before the election, right? Yeah, yeah, no, this election, like, uh, I guess during the summer, mm-hmm. certain things happened that just made me feel like we were in, like, par- you know, whatever the result was, like, our democracy was in peril, and yeah. just couldn't stop thinking about it, so I started smoking again, and, you know, I'll quit the day I turned 35, which is tomorrow. Okay, congratulations, and happy so, birthday to yeah, you. Yeah, so I guess you can check up on me each week and make sure I have held to that promise. Okay, <laughs> all right. But, uh, yeah, this should Exercise, be... Exercise, eating, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm exercising and, you know, work out pretty regular. I need to get, I need to, get to a gym because it's too cold for me to run. I can't yeah. I can't run this cold. So I'm going to get a gym membership. That's something else. Yeah, it's like $15 a month. It's $15. It's right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I guess the first thing I did to stay, which is where we got the title for this podcast, to stay saying to kind of give myself balance it was immediately after the election I immediately reread all of Harry Potter mm. that was uh, all of it books one through seven books one through wow. seven I read the whole a thing. quick reader yeah yeah I it was good, like, because, yeah. you know, so much terrible news was coming in. Yeah. And I just wanted to unplug for a while. I'm, I'm getting back into it. I'm following sure. world events once more. Sure. Uh, but that was, you know, that it, it, I found it to be... Uh, it's a, it's a it's a good myth for our time. Sure. Uh, it's a, it's a good myth for any time, really. Yeah, and in general, I think uh, one of the things about kind of taking care of yourself, at least for me, is like, oh, you, know, you need a little bit of escapism. Right? Yeah, knowing it's what really you can handle as yeah. far as you know, like, right? Yeah, I mean, that's and also I was thinking about it too. Like, I uh, I think I just read an article preparatory to the election, but you know, in Guantanamo Bay, 
they love that shit. And, you know, you can't, can't get enough Harry Potter. Like, yeah. that's yeah, one of those like, weird facts fantasy, that came yeah. out of it. Yeah, it's like they were all reading Harry Potter all the time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, all right, you know, like. <laughs> you feel like you're in Guantanamo? No, I don't feel like I'm in Guantanamo. That, that's something. Actually, I feel like I'm in a really, you know, great city in my, my favorite neighborhood. And it was also, also something we should yeah, discuss, absolutely. which makes us a little different. We're, we're reporting to you from. Jackson Heights from Jackson Heights Queens oh. uh, which is yeah one neighborhood away I guess where tr- from where Trump grew up yeah absolutely so. uh, and it's it's an uncommon place uh, even for New York uh, it's a it's it's profoundly profoundly diverse it's it's uh, almost ludicrously diverse uh, it is kind of ludicrous you walk around and it's yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, so it's ludicrously diverse and it's in a way I mean it's it's working class like I think the yeah. stereotypes that uh, if you don't live in New York City like Manhattan is very rich and elite and Brooklyn is very hipster but Queens is like multi-ethnic working class like it doesn't like there's no stereotype that fits it better and in our world I think our way of thinking about it that's actually a huge win for Globalization, right? It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I you mean, look around here, and everybody's you know very, very conscientious, you know, minding their own business, but also engaged, and you know, all different kinds of people seemingly getting along, right? And very different people too. Like, I mean, and, and we're not talking about an elite, educated class. I mean, I think there are a fair number of working class, poor. Uh, Downright poor, absolutely. Just in terms of the number of people I see at the grocery stores who pay on social like benefits. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very we should say it's a very Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Uh, very Muslim, yeah, uh, for sure. It's right a, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tibetan, uh, yeah. historically a lot of South Asians, South Asian, yeah, yeah, a lot of Latinos, yeah, Colombian and yeah, uh, Argentinian, just uh, yeah, and Mexican and yeah. very religious and also very gay. Very gay. That's the other thing about it. It's, it's very gay. It's huge like a, nightclub. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, right around the corner from us. And yeah, and there's like five or six on Roosevelt, you know, yeah. and uh, so you'll be in like a all night Korean barbecue restaurant right next door is like, you know, techno music blaring yeah. and everybody's just getting along and it's, right. I, it, to some degree, I think it's because people don't li- have no idea, you know, everybody's in the same state of confusion, <laughs> you know, like to, to, it's just too much to hate, you know, it's like, ah, oh, I can't even get my right, 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 no one's like in the majority here, yeah, so there's no hegemony, right, right? exactly, <laughs> so no, everybody feels a little bit like, ah, we kind of got to get along, we're right. all kind of oppressed, right, <laughs> it is both like, it is kind of suburban for New York City, but also really diverse and multi-ethnic and in a kind of a great way. Yeah, like, to my mind, this is the best possible future of America. Uh, I would like to see the entire country look like this and act like this and just kind of be, you know, this is like... We can my, Yeah. And we, and we can, yeah, and we, and we can disagree. I know I don't necessarily agree with my neighbors on about 90% of this. Absolutely thing. not, but, you know, you just kind of, yeah. you, 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 you agree, what you agree on, you, you enact and you, you get by and I, I don't know, I love it here and I, I love... I love seeing it, it work, and I, I'm I fear for it, frankly. And as yeah, a, I don't know, I don't know if I fear for it, but I, I hope it. I hope that it continues. I fear for it for another re- other reasons other than Trump, maybe. Like what? Sure. What do you mean? Like gentrification? Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah. Gentrification, I think, is more of a threat than the Trump presidency. But anyway, so I think one of the things we're hoping to do is make this podcast somehow feature or in any in any way. Uh, Involve our neighborhoods. So yeah, we haven't yeah. figured that out yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're gonna try to get some people around and ask sure. them how they're staying, you know, sane, sane and keeping. Whether they together. care, I actually, I would be, I wouldn't That's be surprised. True, yeah. I just don't give a shit. Like, or, yeah. or uh, there could be a number of Trump supporters because I mean, he did play to a conservative working class, and 
that's what we have here. That's true. I mean, that, that's true. There's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of small businesses here. Sure, and for sure. There's a lot of small business owners. I wonder if his message resonated even. Right. I definitely saw in the middle of uh, on 74th Street, which is a very like loud and very colorful neighborhood. Um, I definitely saw like a couple of people with the Make America Great Again hats. So lock, walking up and down, kind of unapologetically. Were they? Were they like? Were they? Did they look like they were from the neighborhood? Or they yes, just like, really? Yeah, oh, that's impressive. Well, and I, I guess we can go into this, but I, I know this because I myself am South Asian, and you can tell from the name. But I know that he played really well in a lot of like New Jersey neighborhoods that were primarily South Asian, and, and so you would go to a place like Edison or maybe Metro Park, and you'd see a lot of Trump stands in the in the yard. So you never know. Yeah, I mean that's worth it's worth so that's that's it's homework for us sure. to find some Trump supporters in Jackson Heights. Yeah, I don't think it'll be as hard as it were to say in I don't know um, Borum Hill, and you know get them around and, and talk talk politics and see what they have to say. Correct. I also want to talk a little bit about I think one of the things that we have in common, other than our our uh, liking of politics and talking about politics, is at least I think I come from the center left, and I feel like that's an opinion that. Or, or it's a viewpoint that's getting squeezed, and I think you may be a little different. But I think, in a lot of ways, uh, even before the election, we saw some some of the things that I consider from the center left would be very important, uh, not being talked about by either party. So, um, so, 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 how do you define the center left? My uh, my way of thinking about the center left is a little bit of the Clinton era Democrat, right? So, you tend to be. Uh, a little skeptical of government, but in general think that the government's not a bad thing. You want a social safety net, but understand that it's problematic. Um, uh, you believe in uh, fighting for the rights of minorities, however you define a minority, but at the same time, I think you want to be pro-business, so that uh, you're not necessarily against um, tax reform or things like that. So like a market-minded sort of Democrat, that's the way I, I think of myself, and that's why I think of myself as center-left. So you want to chain, I guess, like uh, the safety net mm-hmm. and the bottom to the engine of progress, which is, you know, capitalism. Sure. Make sure they're not uh, divorced from each other, but you know, right. both, you know, the bottom. Yeah, I wouldn't get into this a lot late. I'm going to get into this later, but at some point, I'm not so worried about outcomes as much as I am. I'm more interested about opportunity, and that makes me probably a little bit more conservative. Than I would say Sandinistas, for example. Okay. So I think, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe. So how would you stake out your own personal political space? Or do you don't have to? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty. I'm pretty politically agnostic. Um, I believe. I guess I have some absolute values that I, I believe in, and I, I'm always willing to listen to anybody that's gonna sell me a package that can defend those absolute values. Sure. Uh, freedom of speech. My particular political philosophy is that I believe the UN Declaration of Human Rights is a superior document to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fighting word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think, I feel that, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can achieve the goals outlined in that document, the right. Declaration of Human Rights, and a lot of different kinds of government can meet those needs, and I like the idea of many different kinds of government testing out efficacy in a rich and diverse world and finding, you know, using those experiments to find the best way to meet goals and also make your citizenry happy. Right. Yeah, all of that's fair. I think uh, in terms of specific policies, the things that you and I tend to agree on, I think that we saw neither side really caring for or even 
abandoning in a lot of ways was freedom of speech for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And globalization. Like yeah. I think both the Democrats and the Republicans seem to have turned against it, and it's. Well, they also seem to. Both parties seem to think that the globalization is something that you can be for or against. Right. Exactly. Like, it's. It's a thing. Like it's it's a happening. It's, it's an force. economic force of gravity. Yeah, right. economic and just social and, and technological, and, sure. and it's just a fact. Like, right. A lot of the things that we have developed our government structures around are, are fake, like borders. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, there's, yeah. and it's hard to withstand, you know, the fact that transportation is a lot cheaper and that communication doesn't need to go through national phone lines anymore. Right? And people are just more curious about right. other cultures and other places right. to live. And, you know, absolutely. And there's more disposable income globally. Sure. So people travel more and they are more engaged. And, you know, and I think I think rootless cosmopolitans are, are, yeah. are fine people. And right, exactly. That's protected wherever they crop up. Present company included. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, this podcast is very much a work in progress. But in general, uh, we kind of have an outline of how we wanted to, how we want we wanted to generally take place. So uh, one, talk about self care, how we're taking care of ourselves. Two, uh, I think we want to talk about Trump um, because at least for me, talking about Trump is actually pretty therapeutic. <laughs> Three, I think, is a uh, doubling down on <laughs> on defeat, like how. <laughs> how the Democrats and the left continue to screw things up. Um, and then uh, for outside the bubble, uh, I guess talking about some of our favorite pieces from out, from the other bubble. Um, and then finally, just random shit. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, okay, I guess we got through the self-care part already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about politics and Trump? Yeah, let's, let's fucking do it. Yeah, all right, Politics and Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, what, what's new today? I guess, like, what's the? So, I don't know if anything is particularly new today, I, and other than small little things, I think uh, what I think is is the most interesting topic right now is still the topic of Russia, right? So, yeah. uh, the interference in the elections and how that's playing out, um, and how how that will continue to play out, right? So, uh, there is some sense that the Republican president-elect seems to be going against. Uh, at least core members of, of the senior part of his party, right? So, uh, how is this going to play along? And it's there. Are, along with that, it's uh, it's interesting that you don't have coherent messaging from the Democrat side, right? So, that is maybe up for the third section, doubling down on defeat. But it seems like it's a very easy thing to be like, hey, let's investigate this, and then let the Republican Party tear itself apart, right? Yeah, I mean, to my mind, that's the most telling. I guess proof that there was some interference is that he would score such easy political points and not even really offend Putin by decrying this by saying you know Russia shouldn't have got involved you know we're going to carry on as normal but you know international hacking of other people's political systems is is a bad thing to do you <laughs> right, know? Right. shouldn't do it we're not going to do it and they shouldn't do it either and I, I don't see you why you wouldn't just say that? And move right. On. So you're taking this as proof that it, that he knows that things were involved, or you don't, or or something else. Like so, what you're saying is that you think that he knows that it was involved, and maybe even he deliberately and directly in a, in a way that he knows about it benefited from the hacking. And when I say he, I mean Trump. If his goal is to eliminate those Russian sanctions mm-hmm. for to you know get ExxonMobil into into Russia and make you know ten billion dollars for a Secretary of State. Sure. If that's his goal, it would help him if he in some ways 
you know, showed a, a tough hand on Russia, so that when he did and ultimately do that, it wasn't so transparent. Right, exactly. People weren't super... Like, even... Yeah, exactly. If he has a strategic goal of, like, I want to be close to Russia, yeah. I want to... Uh, I'm not saying that he necessarily thinks in a corrupt way, or Rex Tillerson is going to be there to benefit uh, directly or, or deliberately. Um, although I think there is an element uh, from... From being Secretary of State, if that is his goal, the most evil, let's collaborate with Russia goal, makes much more sense to talk tough. Exactly, yeah, yeah, just to a, give a little cover. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, to my that that to me, I find baffling. That's like that's unsettling to me because I don't I don't understand why. But I mean, uh, so I guess maybe the one easy explanation is just just being thin skinned, and he doesn't want people to doubt the fact that he won this election. Doesn't want to say. Doesn't want to give any like right. You know, All right, he's just being thin skinned. You know, he, he won huge in this election, and he doesn't want any way to anybody rather to. Uh, to doubt that or to throw any aspersions on that. So, if he's not going to do that, what would help Trump solidify, I guess, support among the right and the left? What would cause him to... What would normalize Trump? don't see him as a, a Republican as, that much. Yeah, uh, I think I remember earlier in one of our conversations you referred to him as just a racist Democrat. Yeah, like, like, old like, school racist Democrat. Yeah, he's a racist Dixiecrat. Like, yeah. He doesn't like trade. <laughs> Or he wants trade to be in America's favor. Uh, he's kind of racist, kind of sexist. Um, but in the end, he wants government intervention. He wants he wants to, and he's and if he lowers and if he lowers taxes and and reforms tax codes on the way, that's kind of you know like a little bit of a pro business old school Democrat. Like he, he's not that different in my mind than someone like uh, I don't know Robert Byrd. I mean you know. Yeah. Yeah. Strom Thurmond before he switched over? Like, yeah, he's just a Dixiecrat to me. Um, but so I think I think it's more than more than I, I, either candidate or either party has really put forth. I think he's a candidate that can bestride both parties um, in, a, in kind of an odd way, but in a kind of a scary way, right? Like, I mean, he doesn't... The policies don't really matter. It's just the, the way that he sells them does, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's... The cult of personality, I think, in a lot of ways, Obama had it too. Like, it's not unheard of to have some uh, dem- uh, demagogic uh, characteristics in any Democratic leader. But um, I think there are a couple of things. The biggest, I think, idea, just to get back to your question, is uh, what's the the best thing he can do is actually grow an economy. Like, can you deliver economic growth? And I think that's going to be hard. I mean, the one thing... So, I mean, if you're worried and you think that the Trump is the worst thing that could possibly happen, the thing that you worry about, I think, is economic growth. Because if you can, if the economy continues to grow in eight, uh, over the course of the next 18 months to two years, he'll have a very good record. And that's and it's hard to walk away from. The real problem, I think... And that's... I think that's... Okay, if he, he manages to do that, which I think is difficult, great. If he doesn't, then, the, then we go down the road of autocracy. Uh, even further, where he starts to blame this group or that group, and it's going to be, and we know who he's going to pick on. He's going to pick on brown-skinned people, right? So, uh, whether they be Muslims or immigrants, or Mexican immigrants, it's just going to be. I think that's the risk. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think in the short term, he's going to pick on liberal elitists first because nobody likes those scumbags. Yeah, they don't. And so, I mean, that's an easy target and yeah. it's nebulous and, and he can pick on the New York Times all he wants because... Yeah. It's easy to pick on them because there's not a lot of people going to fight for them, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. The only place they do kind of exist are 
Manhattan. Yeah. Where, yeah. where Trump lives. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. He's, so, you know, he's going to... Exactly. So. I don't know. Do you think he has a strategy to try to gain... To eat away the Democratic support? Because right now it just seems that he's doing a great job of antagonizing the Republicans. Yeah. I, I got four things right here. That sure. I think... I think if I were Trump, this is what I would do sure. to divide the left uh, long enough to pass all your hateful legislation and, and get uh, you know elected in four in another four years, sure. uh, and maybe forever. Okay, uh, depending on those life extension drugs from Al- Google's sure. alphabet, sure. you know, we know who knows. Uh, so number one, uh, go to war against Silicon Valley. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I I think. You know, it's it's California. Sure. So uh, it's his number one enemy. You know, it's our mortal enemy as New Yorkers. Right. So I don't have too much sympathy. Sure. For the Silicon for Silicon Valley and its aims and goals. Yeah, I think he had a meeting today or yesterday with, uh, with Musk. All, yeah. Or no, all of them. Uh, like, a, yeah. like there's a room full of Silicon Valley types. And typical of Trump, I mean, he was like, "You guys are great. I just want to be helpful to you or whatever." Right. Uh, so. Uh, well, so maybe he won't do that. That's good. I mean, let's well, cross I, that. No, out. I, that's absolutely not a reason to cross it out. I think one of the things about Trump's method, and I can't believe people don't. Talk about this more is like there is they talk about him being needy or 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 wanting to placate and that every time he says something that he's even remotely nice about uh say uh obamacare or something like that they're like oh great oh he's gonna he's he's, he's turning to our side no he's just telling people what they want that's part of being like kind of charismatic businessman or where you're like hey I'm going to tell you exactly what you want I'm going to kiss up to you that's going to disarm you and then I'm going to screw you that's really his MO right like I mean that's so just because he says something doesn't mean that he's going to do it and I think that's the part of Trump that is clever like he is smart enough to hold okay uh, two cents a sense of what he's going to do along with a sense of how he presents himself right and so it's the, it's the definition of a frustrated mind, according to Fitzgerald. Right. I mean, he and I think and so. I I don't love his political instincts, but I definitely know he can dissimulate or he can uh, disassemble. Uh, he can put forth a face uh, that is different than what he intends to do. So you know, I would tie I would tie Facebook to China. Oh, uh, interesting. I, I would tie Amazon to the liberal media elite with Bezos. Bezos or Washington, Washington Post. Post. Yeah. Uh, and I'd tie Google to I don't know I don't know how you take it. Google's so beloved they're more beloved than anybody yeah so. So I think these are hard targets to be like I don't know if people will be angry about them the only people who are angry about them are people who live in the base, Bay Area right otherwise they provide services for effectively free yeah but that's true about newspapers I mean and he's and you know the right has sure. managed to sow dissent and hatred of you know journalism sure. everywhere you look you yeah know? all right I, I think I think this public good, this service, okay. this like you don't have to make the case that it shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. You can make the case that it should be nationalized. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I don't. I think you're right. I mean, it's too rich a target, especially for someone who is walking slowly down the path of autocracy, like yeah. to to leave that kind of jewel untouched, the jewel in his kingdom untouched. Yeah. 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 I think I think it's a target. I don't know if that's a deliberate strategic target. You look at it, you, you, you attack them as soon as there's a terrorist attack, you make them a national security Yeah, know. with Apple, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. As as you look at them as impeding small business with Amazon, you know, like sure. they're not getting taxed hard enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the left totally, the, the Sanders left totally ignored 
for the most part, Silicon Valley is a target, which means that... Well, I think it's just that Silicon Valley tends to... I don't know, 50-50 support Clinton, support Sanders? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a lot of funding from some very rich coders. Yeah, so that, that, that's what I would do. If I would, one, that's number one. That's number one. What's number, number two, kind of a similarly, uh, pardon Snowden, Assange, and Manning, to the extent that Assange can be pardoned, uh, there being no actual charges against him. Right, so, I mean, or you give him asylum, right? Asylum, yeah, or you just make it known that you will not prosecute. Uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I like the idea, I mean, in terms of a strategy for Trump, yeah, that makes sense, right? That'd be great, right? right like, yeah, Snowden that's... comes back, Yeah. you know, he's shaking hands with Trump. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah it's a free... Chelsea Manning is out of prison, which would be fantastic, you know, right. like, Obama should have done that. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I... Still should, still may. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's out of prison. She's got Trump to thank for it. Yeah. All right, uh, right. Assange is pardoned. You know. Okay. All right. All right. That's fair. All right. That that that's an interesting strategy. For sure. What what does it what does he lose by doing that? Well, it depends on how how much he's going to piss off the base. So, and I, one of the questions is how 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 tightly he holds the base, right? Like, yeah. I think there are people who are really enthusiastic about Trump, but I don't know, once he no longer has Clinton or, to kick around, like, yeah. does he does he lose that, does the base become bored with him? I mean, Obama had a strong base, and he largely held a fervent following within the larger Democratic Party and, and the larger Democratic base. I the question is whether or not Trump can do the same. Well, it's about to get an even better target, which is Chuck Schumer to kick around. Like, oh, really? You think yeah. Chuck Schumer's worse than Hillary Clinton? I don't think people know enough about it. I mean, I think Chuck Schumer is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like the absolute worst. We, I mean, can, we can go on record as far here as rumor requirement as being solidly <laughs> against Chuck Schumer. <laughs> I hate Chuck Schumer. To me, you know, whenever people uh, that... I talked to were talk, uh, who were anti-Clinton or talking about how, you know, she's the worst, she's a kleptocrat, she's a, a criminal. I'm like, wait, really? I mean, I mean, we have worse, far worse on the Democratic Party side. Are you kidding me? Wait, Chuck Schumer like, gets a buy? Like, oh my God, the most sleazy... He's an effective politician, you must admit. He's in, in the New York tradition, he is like Corrupt. a very good like, party machine operator. Yeah, terrible. 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 Anyway. But so, you know, like, what, what you know, he has no... I mean, where is he going to hide? You know, what... If Trump goes after Schumer, you know, who's going to defend Chuck Schumer? I mean, at least, you know, there's a case to be made that Hillary Clinton... The entire Democratic Senate, you don't think? Ah. <sighs> Maybe. I is, mean, is Sanders going to go on the line for Chuck Schumer? I mean... I don't know. I mean, he, I think a larger strategy would be to target Democratic corruption in a way... Yeah, but that's like, what I mean. He's a perfect avatar. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can... You, 100% the way to distract uh, from you know, their own uh, very strong allegations of corruption on the Republican side and the forthcoming, I think... Uh, Kerfuffles around Trump's shit, kind of weird business presence and like an inability to sort of draw a line between his business side and his political side, um, as well as just general corruption in, in the Republican Party. Like, yeah, target the Democrats. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck Schumer, you're right. Maybe the perfect. I just don't think he's 
well known enough. Not yet. I mean, Trump just has to tweet about him every day obsessively. <laughs> to people. You know, he's Amy Schumer's uncle, right? Or yeah, or cousin or something. Cousin, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. In which case, you know, there's that media collection. You're right, it's right. All corrupt. Yeah. If I were Chuck Schumer, if you're listening, Chuck, I don't hate you personally. I kind of hate you personally. But my strategy for you would be hide behind Kristen Gillibrand. Like anything you want to say, just give it to her. To say. <laughs> just like be a spider. You know? Yeah, yeah. Be yeah. a be a be an angry spider. Right, 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 right. Uh, hide in the shadows hide in the shadows really. cause him to fear you don't right don't make yourself a target you right know? uh yeah that's uh, fair uh so number number three on this list uh is to in the next year as soon as possible doesn't matter what it is just say yes pass any kind of legislation with bernie sanders <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it doesn't sure. even matter. Just say, say yes, like yeah. whatever you want, Bernie. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and just so you get that like picture of you and Bernie Sanders with ceremonial pens together, like grinning, shaking hands. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, the uh, whatever it is, the whatever it is, whether it's an infrastructure bill, whether it's you know helping working class families with something for veterans, like, yeah, you know, getting that VA because I guess he's still. Uh, is he still chairman of the... Of not the, enough. No, not yet. But, you know, anything. He's just, he's got to, he's got to get, you know, legislation passed with Bernie Sanders. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. That is a great piece of strategy. Yeah. I, you know, get to it. Find a way. Yeah, know, I mean, get, you know, helping working class families and just come up with a cute white, acronym. White, white working class families. We don't have to say white. <laughs> but that's... You know, effectively. Yeah. yeah. Working class families in Ohio outside the urban region. Or Vermont. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Outside the urban region. Yeah. yeah. Outside the, non-urban. Non-urban. Right, right, right. Not. Rural, rural working class families. Yeah. Um, all right. What's number four? Number four, embrace India. Just go yeah. all in. My people love him. Yeah, for I think, sure. And I think that's you know he's whether I mean he's a racist. That's pretty clear. Whether yeah. he's he, an old school racist. He's an old school racist. Like I don't think he's. I, I think in a lot of ways uh, the Republican Party has. Uh, sort of placated itself with saying like okay well we don't burn crosses and to be fair the Democrats were the ones burning crosses but like but I mean you can whole I mean to say that like a, a 70 year old man who grew up in America is racist is like saying a 70 year old man it has prostate issues of yeah, course no, I mean of course, course. Yeah, like yeah, you don't yeah. expect he's, anything yeah, yeah, yeah. other than that yeah, like yeah. I mean it's just I mean he, he's going and especially especially con- uh, compared to like my generation your generation or like millennials who are like very sensitive to race issues he's going to say shit right? yeah, yeah and that's for sure I don't I don't fault him for being outside the pale of like racism I don't think he's but I think he's for without a doubt, he's insensitive to issues that are important. I think to minorities. So yes, you need some. Uh, I don't know. You need some proof that you're not completely and utterly white nationalist. And I think right. like embracing India is the best way to do that. Oh wow, interesting. I would. I, I wouldn't go that way, but okay, that's interesting. I think. Well, we're. I think Indians are generally seen as sort of foreign interlopers, right? It's going to be harder. You can. But but here's the thing: they fight Muslims. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is another reason why my people like Trump. Yeah, right. So or, you know, the, or at least the Hindu nationalists really like Trump. Yeah, so we can say, ah, I'm not racist. I just don't like Muslims. Yeah, yeah. and you could actually, yeah. and you could do a couple of shaking deals where, like, like okay, well, we allow. I think I think there's no way you can be uh, a befriend India without putting strict uh, barriers up to immigration because I don't think. Yeah, I think that's hard. I think you have to be tough on immigration in order to be friend in India. It, it, like the H-1B visa. 
Which he wants should. to do anyway, though, right? I mean, I, yeah, to some degree. But the problem is, if he's going to be buddy buddy with Silicon Valley, they're going to say no, right? Like, I don't know. So he's I going to war. It's I've got, got, a, right, got a strategy right. here. It's Your strategy out. is that he's going to go to war with. Okay, but befriend India. I, I would say that for his minority outreach, he has to do something more American, and he can't do Mexican. So he's got to figure out. He's got to have. He's got to have figured out a way to reach out to African Americans. Apparently, Jim Brown likes him. So like. <laughs> Jim Brown. Uh, I was I was on a, I think I was on a I forget what conservative blog, but it was a, oh like a, uh whatever. Uh, so they were and they were like, oh, this is why Democrats should be really like scared because Jim Brown endorses Donald Trump, and I'm like, this is like the left getting really excited that like Donald Trump doesn't want to shut down everything about Obamacare. It's like one <laughs> semi-famous black man endorsed Donald Trump doesn't mean the whole cult, like doesn't mean that African Americans aren't going to vote 90 to 85% for the Democratic Party yeah and it's not just African Americans African American women who yeah. are not going to come around right ever it's, right. it's like 98% voted for Hillary yeah that's going to probably be 99% maybe 100% right. right in four years you yeah. know I, to the extent that he's going to have to declare war on urban centers you know like he's not going to win any friend you know yeah I mean, I don't, I don't know. He's a city guy. I don't, I don't see him doing that either. I think, I mean, if he wants engines of growth, he can't really. I mean, he's not going to take down New York, and then, I mean, he can. The one urban center he's going to declare war on is Washington, right? Yeah, and but Chicago, Chicago, Democratic stronghold. Yeah, sure. Uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Sure. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I just, I. Yeah, I don't. I, Houston, probably. I think I mean, maybe we'll see. I would, if I were him, I would be sweating. Uh, uh, a black outreach program because I don't. I mean, led by Ben Carson. Though, ben Carson. Well, I mean, don't. I mean, I think on the left you forget how important Ben Carson I mean, is. A, I mean, but not as a politician. Not as a politician. Yeah, but I mean, it's hugely important to like. I mean, when I was a kid, right? I mean, like, I mean, he was really important. Like, he was a black neurosurgeon. He was hugely symbolic. I mean, like, and you would just read books about him and stuff like that. Especially, I think, if you were part of the black or African-American community, like, he was a really important person. So it's not his political, his political career, no, it's outstanding. I mean, he could gain more weight. I just think that he's also managed to shoot himself in the foot politically, I think. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I just don't, I mean, I think he, I just don't think he has very political skills. I think even if he were to try to do that, he would not. Yeah, he's just not good at it. Yeah. But I mean, he may be led by, uh, I don't know, Ben Carson and Omarosa or whoever, uh, maybe actually liking Trump these days, Kanye. I yeah. do think, and I'll go on record. Check uh, with this that we will see Donald Trump's dick before this is all over. Oh, you mean in terms of videotape? In terms of videotape, somehow. In terms of like, you know, you didn't change the news cycle one week and just like whips it out. I think we're this is we're not getting out of no. not, not seeing Donald Trump's dick before this is done. But yeah, that is happening. That's fair enough. It's going to be a presidential first. Hopefully, it will not be like a litmus test for future presidents. Right, right, right. We're just going to whip it out and measure it. Yeah, yeah. Geez. But I think that you know we got through this election cycle. I was hoping we were done with it, but now he's got four years to go. And I think I think there is no way we're not going to get out of this. And seeing some Russian compromat or just, <laughs> yeah, right, you know. sure. Uh, okay, so that is how. If I were Trump, I would you you know divide the left in a in a way that would make it harder to come together to fight for the next four years. Yeah, and I and this goes to a larger issue about how how unified the two bases are. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of um, 
I think there's a lot of willingness to on the Republican side to overlook the fact that had Donald Trump lost, I think they were really close to fracturing. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it is it is far more damaging for Donald Trump to have lost than it was for Hillary to lose. I think typical of the left. I mean, it's a it's a it's a wide tent, so. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to take a couple of years to figure out what their new kind of thrust is um, politically and, to fig- and locate themselves. But the Republican Party could have really fractured under Donald uh, with the Donald Trump loss. So I think in some ways the, the the coalition, the Republican coalition, isn't as secure as maybe one would think, given the fact that they hold power. I definitely agree with you, but power is also very unifying. Yeah, yeah. I think he has bad political instincts, and I think that's. This is one of the things where I think this is going to actually slow his path down to being a proper autocrat, right? Because yeah. like, he does have sort of a weird anti-charisma, and he's not and he's not young, right? So he doesn't have a chance to like learn all of this, and it, and and, it, and as much as he's being an outsider, like a lot of autocrats present themselves as like an outsider, speak to the people, and that's what Donald Trump is doing. But effectively, part of being an outsider is that he's never honed real political. Wherewithal, yeah. right? And so that's something as well to I don't know, just keep in mind. Uh, should we move to doubling down on defeat? Yeah, yeah. How the left will inevitably fuck this up? Yeah. Despite having all the, in my, to my mind, the best policies, the facts on their side. Yeah, uh, uh, demographics. Demographics. They're sexier. Sure. Like, yeah. They're younger. We have pop culture on pop it. Pop culture. It's sure. Really, the best. I mean, the best parts of America. Sure. Are all on, yeah. left flavored. Uh, I, I appreciate a couple of things about about uh, about Red America for sure. I mean, to me, like, I, mean, I appreciate like. Uh, a certain amount of stoicism. And okay. Certain, yeah. Right, right. And I think I think the left, annoyingly, especially as you get younger, gets away from that. Like, I mean, like a certain amount of like cultural stoicism. So a lot of my like heroes and it are like, okay, you know, you just suck it up and you work hard and you, and you get through it. And that's maybe like a little bit of an immigrant mentality, but I think it fits a little better uh, with sort of conservative values than it does. Uh, sort of the, what I consider, I mean, like kind of the stereotypical left, right? So even though the, the immigrants are probably flocking even more and more to the Democratic Party, like that conservative ethos, I think, uh, of, of hard work and and and, uh, and self reliance, I think I really do appreciate that about conservatism. I really do. Though I think it's a myth. Yeah, for sure. I'll agree with that. But I think yeah. I think it sits a little better with their ethos for sure. Where did the Democrats see themselves in the moral universe, right? Yeah. So we we champion the good causes. Therefore, we can judge first and then try to analyze. Like we don't have to think about it on the ground because on top we can just sort of we already have this superior moral vision. So we don't necessarily need to know about the details. And I think uh, certainly the functioning of large complicated systems like an economy involves a lot of information gathering before you judge. But morally neutral information. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, so that to me, uh, that's that's another thing I would see to the Republicans, for sure. So doubling out, doubling doubling out on defeat. Yeah. So, okay, so I guess the the, uh, the subtitle of this is like, what is the Democratic Party or the left party doing to really piss you off? Yeah, right now? Yeah. Are you sorry? Yeah, for sure. I, I, actually, I think you're more sensitive to, to this than I am. I mean, first of all, I think my general feeling is that there isn't a sense of, of party messaging discipline, and this was true in the Clinton campaign, and it should be true now, 
um, uh, is where okay, well, in general, we're going to have our leaders speak um, as what, well. and the and the people who are hogging the highlights are people like Jill Stein, who are much more on the fringes. Whereas if you had, I think, uh, much more coherent messaging for people who seem to be out in the press, I think that would be one thing. Um, I think that, and part of that goes to the fact that you don't have another charismatic leader kind of dealing with it. Um, the uh, the counterexample is that I think uh, the Republican Party does a very good job of messaging. So, like, uh, even when they were supporting something terrible, like preventing uh, uh, building a mosque around the area of of, of of downtown financial district in Manhattan, just a horrible idea. Um, they were all using very like. Uh, uh, very the same language. So from Giuliani to Palin to like all the way up the ladder, like and these are all fringe people at that time. But they were all saying things like zones of sensitivity, like very like languages they were using that were meant to be very neutral, but obviously was very charged. So and the left needs to be more PC. Well, I think they need to be more. I said control of messaging, <laughs> control of messaging, and I think I think one of the problems to me right now is that I think there's a fringe uh, like certainly with Jill Stein hogging a lot of the. Uh, oxygen, I think in the the, uh, the media oxygen. I think it's it's something about um, it's something about there should be a, a much more coherent, uh, again like much more coherent. I would hope centrist uh, messaging that says okay. And I think there, are, and and this goes along with this. Okay, well, it's very easy to be the adult in the room when it comes to Russia, right? Like you can sure. you, you can sit back, right, and be like, okay, let the Republican Party fight because we have our position. It's very easy, and it's very easy to have very coherent, very neutral messaging that says, hey, we are against this. If you sh- if you're not, and I I would love for them to be like, okay, we're gonna th- we're gonna. This has nothing. It's not very hard to be like. We are going to throw. We are going to say Donald Trump needs to be elected. That's how democracy works. But we need to make sure we understand how to prevent this in the future. And that's a very simple message to get out. Because the minute you say we are one hundred percent electing Donald Trump, you don't talk about electoral college revolt. You don't talk about fucking recounts and all of that. You're like democracy delivered the presidency to Donald Trump. We we do not oppose that in any way, yeah. but we need to be clear about how to prevent foreign interests from affecting us. And that's really Russia's gun to the head of America. Will you continue to embrace your democratic principles and elect Donald Trump, or will you overturn them the way we would yeah. in order to have an effective like uh, leader that will continue to champion your foreign policy, your interventionism, mm-hmm. your, your empire? Right. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, as a person who believes in certain these absolute values, I'm, I'm for the democracy part. I'm for yeah. continuing the chain of democracy that uh, gets to the finer grinding of the will of the people. To, right. uh, and I, I agree with you. I think we should absolutely be saying, you know, Donald Trump's president. Uh, yeah, that's the, the. I mean, if, I just uh, I don't want them whining about the electoral college. Like yeah, you it's lost. Not gonna. It's, I mean, the, the, whether the electoral college is a good idea is a different. Discussion, but it was in, it was the rules in place at the time of the yeah. election, and there's yeah. no overturning it now. Yeah, accept defeat, and then uh, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. let I mean it again. I, I mentioned this earlier. Like the Republican Party isn't a unified party. Yeah. it's easy to like sit back and let them tell tear themselves apart in certain issues, and you are hand delivered the Russia issue. Like it's yeah. very easy. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what they do with that. I mean, we'll see uh, with the Senate if the Senate can turn it into Trump's Benghazi. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, a segment of the left that is so used to defending Russia as a leftist country 
even though they're now essentially a fascist country, yeah. they're still uh, sensitive to attacking Russia for McCarthyist reasons or whatever, or seeing them as... Yeah, I, it's it's ridiculous, but I, I, I think that there's still a contingent of the left that views Russia as a counterpoint to American imperialism, even though they're far more imperialist in their ambitions, outright imperialist, no. uh, than we are at this point in history. Uh, so I, I don't think they will. I think I think I think the Stein Sanders contingent is still pro Russia philosophically, as opposed to yeah, interesting because uh, you know. It, it, Sickeningly, uh, our interests align with Germany far more than Russia at this point. You know, we're, we should be pre- the left should be really pro-German. <laughs> Great Merkel is. Yeah, no one's going to buy that. Dude. Well, I mean, you know, when Le Pen takes over France, I mean, you got no friends now. <sighs> yeah, Canada, like you said, Canada, Canada, Canada. I guess everyone loves Evo Morales still, right? Yeah, Cuba. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. What is, is is the left doing anything in particular to piss you off this? Is the same week? Anything in particular to piss me off this particular week? Um, I guess this is what's really pissing me off about the left right now is yeah. the the idea of purity based on uh, certain positions as as defined by historical democratic policy, as opposed to the left meaning. Uh, the side that stands up against authoritarianism. Right. Uh, that should be the purity test. Instead, you see these particular positions on trade, on, I guess, identity politics issues, which I'm sympathetic to, frankly. For sure. Uh, but I'm sympathetic to them insofar as they protect against authoritarianism. To me, that's the test. Seeing the cult of personality that have come up around Obama, Sanders, even Clinton, you know, to me, that is an anti-leftist, right? Uh, and it, at its root, you know, right. I think. I mean, one of the things, and I think we talk a lot about this, is that uh, I mean, there is something about appreciating American democracy as an institution, and that is, uh, and and it's American democracy is worth saving, and, and even, and we tend to champion leftists and Democrats because we think that we uphold, uh, they uphold better, sort of the promise and the responsibilities of American democracy, but. That's, but the institutions are really important. And yeah. Anyone who attacks that is, it should be checked. Checked, absolutely. absolutely. And we have a president elect who seems to be wanting to do that, but the left seems to be willing to do that too. And I think that's annoying, I think. So should we move out of the bubble? Yeah, outside the bubble. So okay. we, I, this is one of the things that I, uh, I am a fan of. Uh, you want to go first? I. Yeah, I guess I'll go first. Okay, so the way that I think outside the bubble is going to work is that um, I feel like we're copying to the fact that maybe we live in a bubble. We live in New York City. We live in a bubble in a bubble. We we live in a a bubble within a bubble. Yeah. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I I think in some ways we were probably a little bit more optimistic on Clinton than we should have been um, because we don't necessarily have great feelers into sort of either the middle of the country or things that people who are maybe culturally or different I uh, in some ways I, I, I'll cop to that I don't think I'm I'm out so inside the bubble that as other people are but I will be I, I can be accused of being sort of a uh, I am an elitist and or I come from a certain elite background I guess you could accuse me of that I don't think that's fair but um, yeah and I don't think I have a great feel a lot of times in terms of uh, what other people are thinking um, outside of maybe New York City in my immediate environment so 
uh, outside of the bubble. It's it's an interesting exercise. It's homework for us. It's, it's homework for yeah, us. Sure. And this may be why the Democrats. And it's fair to levy that maybe the Democrats lost a little bit of that. Like I mean, being not able to uh, see or be sensitive to the trends uh, outside of a certain power centers is is a way to lose democratic elections. So yeah, and the way that our system is. I mean, we're sure. chained to the land. Right, land not votes. We are we are uh, children of Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, to that end, the thing that I found most compelling, I guess, in media that pains me, mm-hmm. uh, was this interview that Steve Bannon gave uh, to the Hollywood Reporter. I don't know if you saw this. No, I didn't. But it talks about his kind of goals and plans. It, it's it, the, the quote went around. Kind of out of context, but it's the it's the interview where he said like darkness is good, you know, uh, Dick Cheney, Darth Vader. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody saw that quote, mm-hmm. uh, but I read the the rest of the interview, and the thing that stuck out most about it was how Steve Bannon sees himself, which isn't Dick Cheney or Darth Vader, but as Thomas Cromwell uh-huh. uh, in Trump's you know Tudor court. Right. So, you know, I'm a fan of history, and I'm, frankly, I'm a fan of Thomas Cromwell. So when when I read that, it was like interesting. Yeah, that is, you know, his self view is not as this like Sith Lord. Yeah, but it is as somebody who wants to use uh, kind of a, a cow catcher, a distraction, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, an id child, mm-hmm. in order to. Uh, I guess improve nationalistically the economy of the United States. Yeah, yeah. To and, put forth policy. Yeah, and disentangle us from, I guess, what he views as uh, Rome, which would be Europe, NATO, right? Uh, our our commitments post World War II, right? In order to, in an isolationist sense, improve the outcomes of America. Right. Uh, that's a generous reading of the aims of Steve Bannon, but if that's how he views himself. We can. I think it's you know you can start to thwart him on those issues, right? And I and I mean, I think in a lot of ways, uh, part of being part uh, part of being from the left is you tend to be really sensitive about issues uh, of race. And so Steve Bannon seems to be more ambivalent about it. I mean, I don't think he he may or may not be genuinely racist. He may or may not be, and I, I think he's probably not genuinely racist. But he's willing to work with people in order to meet certain goals of his, right? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that is appalling to the left. And that it should be, right? And, yeah. And and so I think that's... I think I think he's an interesting character, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so what were Thomas Cromwell's strengths, you know? He was he was very good at making Henry VIII want things that he could sure. provide for him. Right. And leaving everything else to him. Yeah. To... To take care of because it was painful to do. Right. Uh, he had a, he had an extremely high pain tolerance for granular bullshit. Right. Uh, he was merchant educated. Yeah. Uh, globalist spoke many languages and had friends in lots of different countries uh, with similar goals, all with the purpose of you know improving the nationalistic. Uh, right, and this is a time when England is really kind of coming to its own as a national entity. Right? Yeah, and yeah. also trying to you know remove Europe from the tentacles of uh, the Catholic Church. Right, uh, to create nationalist countries as opposed to Catholic ones. Right, right, right. Uh, and you know by feeding Henry VIII sex and food. Right, keeping him otherwise distracted. Distracted and was able to. 
get things done that will ultimately benefited England in the long term. Right. Uh, you might say if you weren't a Catholic as I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and also, I'd like to use this as a as a, a way to recommend some of my favorite books, which are Hilary Mantel's uh, books about Thomas Cromwell. Oh, okay. Uh, that one book, both of them won the Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a mini series, a BBC mini series. Uh, Wolf Hall, yeah, uh, which is also worth watching if you don't have time to read. Uh, There's also a play in Wolf Hall, right? It was a play. Yeah, it was also a play, and also it leads me to our best book, in my opinion, which is a Place of Greater Safety. I don't know it. Which is about the French Revolution. Okay. Uh, and it has a really interesting point and theme, which I think is uh, useful for right now, which is that in revolutions, people start uh, idealistically, and then eventually they end up willing to do anything just to feel safe and that's when they become most dangerous okay. my contribution to outside the bubble and I, I we talked a little bit about this um, is that actually I found reading uh, or listening to like uh, certain like red uh, sources of media um, whether it be Red State or um, or uh, Ben Shapiro's podcast as being really soothing after the election. <laughs> really soothing. How, right. how is it soothing? Well, and largely, and I think this is part of it. Is so it's really soothing in the sense that, like, both Red State um, and I guess uh, uh, Ben Shapiro have strong misgivings about Trump. Yeah. Right, like I mean, and to be Ben Shapiro, you used to be the editor of Breitbart. Right, right. He yeah. used to be one of the most popular people, and you can see why. Right, I mean, I, I think his podcast, if you're willing to last an hour, yeah. uh, it's a long podcast. It comes out maybe every day or so. Do you do this while exercising? No, I don't listen yeah. to while while exercising. Actually, um, uh, I, although I think I should. Um, I mean, he. And I, I mean, I. I have no problem, I guess, with him uh, and his viewpoints. I mean, I, I disagree with them yeah. in a lot, of, in, in a lot of ways. But the way uh, that he frames them, you feel, is like in good faith. Yeah, it's in good faith, and I think in a uh, there's uh, and in some ways, I think there's common ground there because I mean, he is talking about and he does care about uh, the institution of democracy, right? And I think that's what he doesn't like about Trump, right? Yeah. Like, um, and and that was and so it's. I think with uh, the Democrats, I think when we lost the election, it was easy to be like, we lost it to a bunch of racist, sexist, terrible people. But the electorate, I, I think, revolved around kind of a, a different kind of narrative, and I, th- and I think in some ways aren't as sensitive to certain issues that are, uh, are no-go issues uh, on, the, on the left. But, um, but there is division, in, or there is at least argument uh, to uh, on the right, I mean, and um, and I think there are points that I will agree with them on. I'll be like, okay, well, maybe Trump can do this. Okay, I don't, uh, but it doesn't mean that I have to like him, right? And I don't, and I do. One of the things that I, I worry most about in the long term, I'm not. I mean, policy arguments I think can come and go, and that's part of the, the give and take of being right and left. What I do worry about, what I think is fundamentally scary. Is is what it means to the institution of American democracy, and I think that is certainly something I see as having in common cause with at least some parts of the right, and I think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily I don't agree with them on abortion or gay rights or things like that, and I think uh, Ben Shapiro in particular, I think is, is just doesn't believe in gay rights and he thinks of homosexualized and he's a religious Jew, but he's also someone who's steeped in constitutional law, and I think that's. It's a helpful. I mean, I don't have to agree with him 100 percent of the time. And again, it's about ideological purity. But I think, yeah, maybe 30 percent of the time, I think he's a really articulate defender of things that I agree with. Yeah. Uh, maybe 70 percent of the time, I'm like, eh, okay. 
Yeah, there's people on the right who have honor. They have honor. They're honorable. They right. act in good faith. Right. And I, yeah. And if if our big argument is that they believe in big, uh, they believe in small government, whereas I believe in bigger government, I'm okay with having that debate and and fighting it out in the electorate. I think. Yeah. I think that's. I think it's important to find common ground either yeah, way, right? Yeah. I mean, the Republican majority is not one that's going to last, and the Democratic majority is one that's going to be messy. So. Fair point. So that's my that's my vote. I, I would I would recommend Ben Shapiro. Just listen to him. Some of his stuff is pretty good. Yeah, not all. I mean, like yeah. And you know that's interesting. So we, we both seized on the two editors of Breitbart as right as our, as our key figures to pay but attention to. Th- right, exactly. And I think I think yours is more of horror. Mine's more like enjoyment. No, I mean what I'm curious about, frankly, is how do we get. Henry VIII to behead Thomas Cromwell. Right, How right, do we exactly. make Henry VIII well, yeah, slowly I, I mean, get rid of his best advisors? Right, I don't know exactly how you're... I, like, I, I was wondering when the beheading was going to come yeah, up. Yeah, well, right? you know, like, I, you know, that's that's the Jesuit strategy. Right. So if we're going to have... It's like, how do we slowly make him get, you know, purge himself of his greatest resources? Sure, okay, all uh, right, that's fair. I, I don't... Yeah, I wonder how that... Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's happening. All right, so that is... Uh, outside the bubble. Uh, now we go on to random shit. So. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the first the first episode, it, it seems clear. Uh, we should talk about board games. Board games. All right, fair yeah. enough. All right, board games. Uh, that's that's how we know each other. That is how we know each other, largely. Uh, 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 through Because we're both enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. Yeah. Very complex, time-consuming. Right. Uh, board games. Variance-free or variance-minimal board right. games. Right, absolutely. And I think uh, this goes back to our point about escapism. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's weird, because since the election, we haven't gotten around to play like a six-hour board game. We haven't. It seems like we've just played a year-long one. Right? We <laughs> right. lost very badly. We lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mental note. Yeah, I got a three-thing strategy. Yeah. Um... So what do you want to talk about in terms of board games? I don't know. It's it's interesting. I mean, so what is it about? So we both we played a fair amount of board games against sure. each other, right? Uh, and there's some favorites, and there's some, there's you know I think we know each other as players pretty well. Yeah, I, I know I have my strengths, and you have your strengths, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I think they're you know you're a formidable, fantastic board game player. Oh, say. thank you. I, I uh, feel like that says. That's, it's coming from someone who beats me quite often. No, but I mean that's that's. That, I think it's it, it, we both just take it hard. Like You're, I think you win more than I, I do. It's uh, just a matter of like, uh, you know. Uh, I think I think you feel your losses. <laughs> and I think that's what makes it. A, that's what makes you a good. Um, yeah, I, I have this story. I, uh, I tell the story right. So yeah. um, in college, we were sitting around, and my friend. Vin brought out this game that he's had from the '80s, and it's such an '80s game. And it, there are ba- and so it's called Hotels, and where you try to you have these like various. It's a little bit like a, a uh, like a dumbed down Monopoly where you try to buy property and you charge people rent for going around the board. There's something that is very much Trump Towers, so it's a very '80s like real estate Trump game, uh, and it's not like a great game. But so we sit around and we play it, and I lose the game, and. I don't let it go. So I literally, and so like it came up, uh, and he had friends visiting, and we all played a game, and I lost it. And like hours later, they just saw me staring at the board, just trying to figure out where you went wrong, where I went wrong. And yeah. they're like, "Is he okay?" 
<laughs> but like, and, uh, and it, it took. I think people, his friends, t- it took them years to forgive me for being such a, for for being such an intense board game player. But it's not, it's it's different from being like a poor loser. And I think right. it's like because you really just want to know. You want to know what went wrong. And right. Like for sure. Strategic thinking and and you're, right. it's a, it's an existential problem. It's like, am I still you know do I still have it? I mean, right, right, what, right, exactly. What about this particular set of rules defeated me? What right. did I not grasp? For sure. Uh, and I think I think that's what to me that's what makes board games so fascinating. Yeah. You have this set of rules that we all agree on, right? And you have your way in which you are going to approach this set of rules in order to like maximize your own gain or or thwart others, right? And you get to see you know without any luck whether that strategy is successful or not. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, yeah, I think. Uh I think the board games that we tend to like minimize yeah. luck yeah. and yeah. reward a strategy. Yeah, any, any kind of strategy, whether it's sane or not. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I would say it's it's worth it. You know, like yeah, and I think there's something about. I mean, certainly as I get older, it's it's harder to play. Like say, like okay, I'm going to set aside eight hours yeah, to like, play yeah, a board game, and we did actually. I mean, our most recent, well, at least the one. We most recently played Churchill. Right? Churchill, yeah. yeah. It that's took all day. We got through three rounds. <laughs> right, right. We didn't even finish. <laughs> we didn't even it. finish, but it was great. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It's a, I recommend that one. It's a three-person board game. Yeah, you can only play with three. Don't play it with three people. We both lost. We both lost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's the wily and cunning Church. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah that's Churchill. Yeah, yeah. very good job, Churchill. Uh, uh, definitely, Churchill comes in as the as the game that. I thought it was really, really interesting. And it is about... It's a little bit about dicey political time. Yeah, yeah. And, and making an alliance that, you know... Right. Uh, serves a, a greater purpose despite having vast philosophical differences between right. the people that you're trying to ally with and goals. Right. right. Um, so, so have you always been interested in... What was... Do you remember your first your first board game? Um, so I think we played a lot of like simple board games growing up. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of us, and uh, and I think my mom really liked games. So yeah, it's not yeah. really something I get from my dad, which is weird because I tend to get a lot from my dad. Um, but my mom really liked games, so like little paper games and stuff like that yeah. um, uh, that we used to play. Um, I think board games and strategy games came later, um, and I. And I think really liking them, I think, uh, and like kind of the more complicated version of them uh, came in like, I think later on actually, like uh, around 2005, I think all these games were coming out like Settlers of Catan. Sure, yeah. And I think that's when I was like, oh, I really like these games. Like I never, I don't think I really thought about them before. Like I didn't play D&D growing up or anything like that. Did you play Risk or Axis Not? I did play Risk. Yeah. Oh, I guess so. I think one of the things is that I'm at least young enough to say like okay by the time board games came out as well like I was also playing video games right yeah. so like Risk was a computer game too oh yeah and, yeah, sure. and so that was it was much easier to play on the computer so I did like I did like computer games I like the computer strategy games and I did like I love Civilization yeah, um, for yeah, sure yeah. Um, so I think that's probably what I like about it but I, I miss the interactive part of it and so I, I really like I started getting into board games around 2005 what about you? Yeah, no, I've always been, it's, you know, just groups of kids growing up, that's what we do to kill a day. Yeah. We'd all just play Risk or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what were the games you played growing up? Yeah, definitely Risk. You know, I played chess with my stepdad a bunch. Yeah. You know. Were you good at it? I was not. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm good at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've only played chess. a few games. Actually, I just started teaching my wife chess, because I know the rules, and she's... 
and and part of it was teaching her and then her beating me yeah. and I'd be like uh, and she's like oh are you trying to teach me something and I was like no I just made a terrible mistake like, there's a difference between chess and I think the kind of board games you like there's a, there's a human interaction to it that yeah. is like you have to be good at weaponizing yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> understand right right well there are there can be a fair amount of drama in the board yeah, games you which play. is what makes it fun I have, chess. I have lost my temper <laughs> but I mean who hasn't yeah. but it, 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 chess is so bloodless like, yeah I, I just can't I, I can't I think I could be good at it maybe if I could be interested in it Right. But I can't make myself care. Actually, there was this one time when I realized I liked board games for kind of the human element. And I yeah, think yeah. we were sitting around and a bunch of friends of mine from college just after we graduated we were sitting around we were playing Monopoly. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Monopoly's not that great a game, but what I really want to do is make deals on the side. Yeah. That, yeah, and yeah, so like yeah, all yeah, the yeah. offer was like, okay, well, I'll trade you this property <laughs> for this property for this kind of thing. And, and that was the fun thing. So you would actually have to like conference aside yeah. to come up with a strategy. That stuff, like when you play Monopoly like that, it's actually a pretty fun game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. There's always ways you can... And I was definitely the person trying to instigate all of that. Yeah, but it just makes people lose their shit and it's yeah. so much fun. Uh, but, or, you know, it, you just see the way in which people relate to each other, relate to games and, and, and it makes it a, a good time. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it also just gives people a reason to hang out for eight hours. Yeah, and I think that's important too, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I guess I guess that wraps up this. Uh, that is random shit. Inaugural episode of right, of, uh, absolutely. Room of requirement. We hope to be back in uh, after after the holidays for sure. Uh, you're going off to to North Carolina. I am. I am. You're around for the holidays. I yeah, I'll be here. Okay. Be, All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, thank you guys for listening. Whoever was listening to this, and yeah. thank you, Miracle Jones. Oh. It was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And thank you very much, guys. Yeah.